Saving money on exterior wall lights. Now at Menards. Find your style with Patriot Lighting. Exterior lights enhance the look of your home. Choose from over 50 options from Patriot Lighting. Now through May 19th, get $10 instant savings on a single qualifying purchase of $100 or more on in-stock outdoor wall lights. Check out our entire selection of outdoor lights and see the rest of our deals happening now on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 303 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Adam, and I'm all by myself today because I'm recording this in my kitchen. I uh, forgot to <laughs> collaborate with Jill when we were both in the office. This was a really weird week. I was moving in. We had a uh, a massive kind of Overdrive team, big uh, conference slash summit thing where lots of people came in from all around the world, which was amazing, uh, but it made for a, a strange week availability-wise. So recording this for you guys all by my lonesome. If you hear dogs in the background, uh, you've heard me talk about them plenty. So it'll be Holden and Remy. You can also find them, I think, on our Instagram and Twitters. Uh, anyway, today's episode is an interview I did with Kristen Rupenian, who you might recognize from the short story Cat Person, which was uh, released a couple of years ago and basically took the internet by storm. Um, she has written a series of short stories that have just been released called You Know You Want This, and it's one of the most anticipated books of, of 2019. Um, it's on best of lists from Vogue and HuffPo and Entertainment and Vox and all, all over the place. And when you listen to her talk about the book, you'll understand why. She has an amazing outlook on life and the way that she writes about things uh, are it's complex and it's dark but it's funny and it's uncomfortable but it's engrossing uh, she just has a really unique voice and uh, if you let if you read cat person you'll you'll understand what i mean um, if you haven't read cat person it's in this series of short stories which i highly recommend going to borrow buy place a hold on recommend just track it down any way you can uh you're you're gonna want to you, you know you're going to want to listen or read this book. Um, it's really great. I think you'll enjoy the conversation. She's all, she's actually really, really funny, too. We had a blast talking, uh, so I think you'll enjoy the conversation. If you want to get a hold of us, you can find us on Instagram or Twitter at ProBookNerds. Uh, you can go to our website, ProfessionalBookNerds at Overdrive.com. We have a link there to our Viber community. And if you're not uh, in our Viber community just yet, uh, I highly recommend doing that too. It's a lot of fun. It's really great to see book conversations going on organically, even when we're not involved. Um, but it's also a way for you to interact with us every day if you have book questions. And if you do have book questions, you can email us as well at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. We've had a few people email us in asking uh, to help them track down lost books, basically old books that they couldn't remember, which I think we've helped out some people with. Um, We've also had a few people asking for recommendations for the uh, Professional Book Nerds Reading Challenge for 2019. So if you are doing that, feel free to shoot us an email. We'll be happy to give you some recommendations. We're going to do some recommendation episodes as well throughout this year to, to help assist with that. Uh, and then one plea, because I only do this every couple of months, but I love doing it because people usually respond a little bit. If you get a chance, if you haven't done so already, if you wouldn't mind going into iTunes or whatever, uh, podcast 
tool that you use to listen to your podcast, whatever app it is, if you could go in and give us a five-star rating and just a real quick sentence review, um, it only takes a minute or two, and it really helps people find us a lot more easily. And uh, as a podcaster, not only does it help increase our numbers and, and all that great stuff, it also just makes our day to see those messages, people telling us what they, they enjoy about the show. And um, it means a lot. We put a lot of time into each one of these episodes. So knowing that you guys are listening and that you appreciate it is really cool. Um, so if you could do that, that would be wonderful. We'd really appreciate it. And we'll be happy to give you a shout out on the, the show if you do. Okay, that's enough begging, I promise. Um, again, this chat with Kristen Repenian was so much fun. Uh, really great. Her voice is very unique and her outlook. I, I think you're going to love it. So I hope you guys enjoy this wonderful conversation with an up-and-coming author on the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Hi everyone, it's Adam, and I'm super excited today to be joined by Kristen Rupenian, whose short story Cat Person took the internet by storm last December as one of the most read pieces uh, basically of the entire year, and I think like all of the internet. If you haven't read it yet, I'm kind of shocked, and you definitely need to go check it out. Her debut collection of short stories, You Know You Want This, comes out January 15th, so we're going to dive into that and all sorts of other things. But first, Kristen, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, so for people who might not be aware of your debut book, can you maybe kick us off by explaining what You Know You Want This is all about and kind of the collection of short stories that you've created here? Sure. Uh, So yeah, it's a short story collection. It includes Cat Person, um, but there's a really wide range of stories in it. I would say what they have in common is they all skew fairly dark. Um, There are a lot of stories about um, sex and relationships and conflict, but um, there's a really, really wide range, um, both in terms of theme and genre. Um, Some of them, I would say, land almost fully in in a horror space. And then there are others that are much more sort of a look at the seedy, but essentially realistic underbelly of relationships like cat person. So, yeah, it's hard to summarize a collection in just a few words. But yeah, no, I, you kind of yeah. did a pretty good job, though. And, and you actually touched on a lot of things I, I want to jump into at some point here. But I just, as a kind of a, a general question, though, have you always been a short story kind of person, fan, or writer? Or is it once you, you know, wrote Cat Person and it got all the attention in the world, you, you thought maybe you should write some more of these for a collection? Um, No, I had the majority of the collection finished by the time Cat Person was published, um, which was really lucky, I think, to have that kind of done and under my belt. Uh, So I had written, um, I've been writing short stories for a while now, I'd say something like the oldest story in the collection, which is called The Night Runner, is about six or seven years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a handful of the stories in the collection I wrote after it had sold and I was working with my editor. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I when I was a kid, I really liked scary stories in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a big Ray Bradbury fan. Um, I liked Stephen King has short stories that terrified me. Um, and then there was a longer period where I wasn't reading them as much. 
and I thought I would write a novel, and I've always kind of had both going on as a writer, um, working on a longer piece, and then sort of on in breaks and in bursts working on short stories. Do you think the short stories, using short stories at the same time as writing the full-length novel, like, do you think that that helps kind of keep your mind fresh for the novel as well? Because you do have that ability to go and, you know, write a, you know, a 4,000-word or a 30-page story to sort of get away and clear your head? Yeah, definitely. And I think I'm a person that whenever I put too much pressure on myself, I tend to seize up. And so often what has happened is I'll be working really hard on something longer or even a different story, and then I'll get an idea, and I'll be like, what I really want to do is write this totally different and slightly irrelevant story, (laughs) and I'll just sit down and write it really sort of quickly and enthusiastically, and it'll be kind of pure pleasure. And some of my favorite stories um, in the collection or just things that I have written have come from that when I was supposed to be doing something else. Um, yeah, it, it works for me. Well, and also, you know, like you mentioned how this collection is, you know, there's some stories that are very realistic. There's others that are kind of have a, a horror, you know, slant to them. You know, I, was, I would say there's a little bit of like magical realism in here. Yeah, I, definitely. I, w- I, I would imagine, you know, you're, I know you're also you know, working on a novel, I believe. And you know, that's you're, you're, when you start writing a novel, you're you have that one genre and that one story you're telling for however long it takes you to put that together. Mm-hmm. I would imagine the ability to kind of play with different styles and, and themes is very refreshing for you as a writer. Exactly. I have a relatively short attention span. And in <laughs> fact, my history of a writer, my history of being a writer is a history of starting longer projects and not finishing them. I've gotten better. I now have finished longer projects, but absolutely when the boredom sets in, just to know that you can finish it and then do something totally different tomorrow is really delightful and freeing, I think, Um, which is one reason I love short stories. Do you find yourself being a planner or a pantser for the short stories, and I guess the novels as well? Like, do Do you plan out sort of the full arc of a short story before you write it, or you just kind of go from word one and see where it takes you? It varies. Um, One thing I've realized about myself is that if I start writing too quickly before I have a good sense of what I'm writing, I can lose my way or get stuck. Um, So I try and plan in the very loose sense of planning of just sort of like daydreaming and thinking about things Mm -hmm. for a long time before I put words down. Um, But usually when I, once I start writing, um, if I started at the right time, um, it will come fairly quickly and unplanned in the sense of like, I haven't written out an organized outline often And it has really varied. I mean, I have as many different processes as I do projects. But um, I will write what a very rough draft, and sometimes the draft is so rough as to almost be an outline. And then um, there's a process of filling in the blanks, and other times that first draft is closer to the final draft. Um, It really, really varies. Um, This might sound strange just because obviously the – the length of the two are so different, but do you feel it's more challenging to write a novel as opposed to a short story? Like I said, obviously there's so much more that goes into a novel from a, a word standpoint, but 
with the with a short story, you know, a lot of times you have to be more succinct or you have to tell a unique story in, in so much less time. Do you find it challenging to do one or the other, or is it just two different formats of writing for you? Yeah, I mean, obviously the easy answer is they're both challenging in different ways. <laughs> but I would say that for me, where I am right now, the good thing about writing short stories is that I have more practice in it because I can write and discard a story in a much more compressed period of time. So I like know the long turns that I might make or how to get myself out of something and I have less fear in terms of like, can I cut this? Is that okay? It just feels like having had the experience of writing as many as I now have has given me confidence where writing a novel everyone, and I, I have heard other people say this, is like a different beast. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I have written and finished a novel, and when I finished it, I was like, cool, now I know how to do that. <laughs> but that is not true. <laughs> like, as I start the next one, I'm again being like, wow, having done this one time is not enough practice. <laughs> I need to do it more. And I think for that reason right now, my feeling of short stories is that it's a it's a form I kind of I, I can sort of trust myself in, whereas I feel like I'm feel kind of feeling my way blindly in, in novel writing. But that also makes it more, in some ways, more fascinating. And, like, you got pulled to it because it's a challenge that you want to be wrestling with. I It's so funny. I feel like I've heard a lot of short story authors kind of say a similar thing. We were fortunate um, about a year and a half ago, we interviewed George Saunders. And mm. it was when, you know, it was right around when Lincoln and the Bardot was coming out. And I kind of jokingly asked him, I was like, you know, you've been a writer for like 20 years. Why are you just now writing a novel? And which, by the way, I, if I ever get a chance again, I don't think I'm ever going to insult George Saunders. That felt kind of weird. Um, he seems like centered enough. You can yeah. probably roll. Oh, yeah, he was totally cool. But he said kind of the same thing. He was like, yeah, I didn't feel like I knew how to write a novel. And so I always kind of shied away from it for all this time. And like he had the idea for Lincoln and the Bardot, like, 15 years earlier but he didn't feel like he was ready to do it and that just blew my mind to hear like one of the seminal author you know writers of our generation or really of any generation be like I didn't think I could write a novel yet so I I totally understand where you're coming from yeah I mean what I've been trying to tell myself as I work on the one I'm working on now is that maybe I have to write a bad novel to write the next good one you know and I just every whenever I feel overwhelmed by it I'm like well not gonna get any better if I don't try and write this garbage thing I'm working on right now and I have often had those feelings with stories that then turned out well you know I try, I guess that is an experience that carries over that that feeling of like this is a total disaster that will never work can be an illusion so you just have to go through it but yeah, I feel it. I'm not trying to tell you how to promote your stuff, but when the novel comes out, maybe don't <laughs> don't put that in your elevator pitch. Uh, yeah, there are many, many things I'm still learning how to do as a writer right now, and uh, keep preserving a veil of, of mystique over my process <laughs> is one of them. But, you know, getting better every day. Yeah. Just imagine, like, a year from now, like, maybe you come back on the show and be like, so, Kristen, what was it like finishing that novel? You're like, well, I had a contract, so I had to get it done. It's really crappy, but the next one... <laughs> It's gonna be great. Uh, I mean, in my head, to be fair, although I realize I was being ridiculous, I imagine that whatever the book 
that gets published next will be the good book. It's just that I might have, as I already do, a few drafts of, of novels that mm-hmm. just were necessary disasters before. <laughs> I promise I won't try and sell one that I actually think is garbage. Oh, but man. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> oh, that's so, so funny. And and I we talked about with short stories, you know, being you know more confident knowing that you're doing them the right way, you know, especially, you know, started with cat person and I feel like actually before we dive into somehow I've just in case people haven't aren't aware of it can you maybe give us like a an elevator pitch I'm sure you've done this a thousand times but can you give an elevator pitch of kind of what cat person is all about before we dive into it sure and I actually haven't given it a lot of um I haven't given an elevator pitch a bunch of times because when the story came out there was that kind of whirlwind and That's I fair. was not a part of it. I wasn't talking to anybody really. Um, and so, yeah, Cat Person is a story about um, two people, Robert and Margot, who meet at a movie theater and go on a long, disastrous date. Um, and it's a close third person on Margot who, um, over the course of both, they have a kind of extended flirtation via text and then um, during the night itself, night itself, she starts to slowly realize that the date isn't working, that she doesn't really like or feel comfortable with Robert, and yet, for a bunch of reasons, she kind of keeps moving forward, and things get more serious, and they end up sleeping together, and she has a lot of very messy and kind of difficult feelings about the whole experience. Um, and so it's relatively, yeah, I mean, on the spectrum, it's like relatively realistic, um, but it is dark um and yeah that's cat person that yeah that is cat person i and okay so you you know you write cat person and you send it and you know not sure how it works with the new yorker but i mean you know you send your completed version of it and then you you know go for a walk or whatever you do and it gets posted (laughs) what was it like you know like coming back opening up your phone for the first time or i i'm just like what was it like seeing these visceral reactions from people both on the the good and the bad yeah, it was very overwhelming. Um, we're coming up on almost exactly a year. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was a week, uh, a year ago last week that Cat Person came out. And I had had a handful of stories published in very small venues, um, mostly online. And so the idea that Cat Person was going to appear in The New Yorker and be read by the number of people who just subscribed to The New Yorker was incredible and beyond anything I had ever experienced before by an order of magnitude. And so the story went up and I thought, this is amazing. I'm still having trouble believing it. (laughs) Um, It happened very relatively quickly, or at least more quickly than I would have expected that um, the story sat at the New Yorker for a long time, um, actually getting rejected from a bunch of other places to the point that I thought it had also been rejected from New Yorker. They just had forgotten to email me. <laughs> and then um, when I got, and then I got an email from Deborah Treisman, the editor or my agent did saying like, we're still thinking about this. Thank you. And then a few weeks after that, um, they accepted the story and published it within, I think it was like a month and a half or something. It was very quick. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was still thinking the, Oh my goodness, this is the most intense and amazing and unprecedented experience of my life to have it in the magazine. And then it appeared. It was incredible. And then several days went by where um, I thought it was over, basically. Um, You know, my 
agent Jenny and I had talked about bringing the collection out to editors um, in January after the holidays. So like we didn't have any immediate plans. And then I think it was a Friday, it was a Friday um, that however it happened, and I still don't really know, um, a few people like had started tweeting it and then it just like kind of caught this wave, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And I was with my girlfriend at a coffee shop just like trying to write and she works in publishing or had worked in publishing. She's also a writer and she was like, follows more of like literary Twitter and she was like, there's something going on with your story. And we, I did not understand for several Mm -hmm. hours. (laughs) Um, And it was, it was really disorienting. I mean, I, it's great. You know, like you can't, it's everything you wish for as a writer Mm -hmm. is to have people read and respond and care passionately about your story. And people did, and that was huge. But I do think, and I just, it was a lesson I wouldn't have believed until I had the experience, that, like, it is not actually good for me as a writer to be hearing those kind of unmediated, Mm -hmm. unvarnished reactions from readers. That that's something that sort of, there's a necessary distance. And I figured that out pretty quickly, actually. <laughs> I started reading, and I was just like, I can't. I can't do this. And there was that extra fold of, like, many people when they read the story, because they had just seen it shared from someone else, didn't quite grasp the genre. Or I actually think most people did, that they understood that it was fiction, but they were talking about it as though it was real and as though Margot was a person and that person was me. And neither of those, none of those things are true, but... It was, and it felt like that in some of the conversations. And people were also using the story to talk about very personal and intense experiences that they had had, um, which just is a whole different, there were just several layers of that conversation that were all happening at once and essentially all happened over a weekend. I mean, I closed my computer after just a few hours and really didn't open it again until Monday morning. And by then it was almost over. Like people had figured out like that Monday was when like sort of um, media outlets were like, oh, something happened on Twitter. And they started contacting me and writing about the conversation that had happened. But the Twitter conversation and the sort of like real intense engagement was essentially a a 48 hour phenomenon. so that's the slightly long version, I guess, of what it was like. And the short version is it was it was very overwhelming. Yeah, I I mean, I I understand. Well, first, I understand the visceral reaction both on both sides, just because that's how Twitter works um, kind of in a nutshell. Like to me, and I'm going to do my best to not try and be the billionth person to tell you what I think it's about. Um, (laughs) well i mean to me the story is a realistic look at like real human beings where i feel it's my personal opinion rarely is anyone 100 percent good or 100 percent bad and as humans we're allowed to change our minds throughout an evening throughout a date throughout a relationship or a lifetime and like you know your emotions and facts that you learn and the environment that you're in like all of these things can factor in and, and affect how we make our decisions like to me that's how I saw it, and I, I don't know, I feel like it had to be, 
you, know, you seem to have your head on pretty straight about just being like, yeah, I closed my computer and I didn't want to be a part of it, which is has to be the best way to do this. But like, it feels like you sort of became the almost like the spokesperson for mm-hmm. like this whole like this the whole idea of you know bad dates or you know like dating or you know spending an evening with a shitty guy like how all of a sudden you became like the person whose voice everyone wanted to hear on these types of things like that had that still has to be a little strange it's very strange and it's funny yeah i mean people what i mean i it's yeah it's, it's funny and it's strange and it's like especially odd when that changed into like giving advice which mm-hmm. i feel like if you read that story i feel like why would anyone be like the person who wrote this story seems like someone to tell me how i could live my life like clearly not um and i think that's natural i mean i know when i when a story matters a lot to me i end up with an idea of a writer in my head and that person feels real to me and like also is entirely a construct of my imagination and Mm -hmm. i think like because and i'm glad that i got the good advice that i didn't have to speak out at that time like there were people who asked me to write op-eds and to tell what explain what the story meant and to you know express opinions on a wide variety of like political and, and interpersonal questions but i didn't and i think what that meant was that the story had to speak for itself mm-hmm. and that when people thought they knew what the story meant, they had to be the one to make that claim. And I think a lot of really smart people did. Like, they you took the story and used it as a way of explaining things that were important and that I couldn't have done that in the same way because, like, I like I am the one who wrote the story. I have the least unbiased. Like my opinion on it is the most biased. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that the story exists in the world, I like still see it kind of popping up everywhere, or like not everywhere anymore. But I'll see it like in a in a newspaper article or in an op-ed, and I'll be like, oh, the story just like is a way for people to talk about things that matter to them. And I I do think that me trying to jump in front of it and explain it and, like, direct it would have been really counterproductive. It would have turned it into a, like, like a... It just would have made it even more black and white than, like, Mm -hmm. Twitter always wants to turn things into, like, right and wrong, black and white. And Mm -hmm. by not doing that, like, I think I actually feel really good about the way that the conversation around cat person when even though obviously like there are some extreme examples of people getting it totally wrong or like using it as a cudgel to like you know fight some battle that i'm not invested in but like generally i feel like after the conversation around cat person people were having slightly better conversations Mm -hmm. about dating and that's a good thing yeah Um, even though obviously i couldn't have remotely predicted or, <laughs> yeah. or planned it or anything. Yeah, well, and I think also I, I've talked to a bunch of authors who tell us that, you know, while they're working on a project, it's theirs, but as soon as you hit publish, it's no longer your mm-hmm. story. It's kind of society's story. It's the reader's story. And like you said, it people will latch onto something and they'll make it say or make it represent what they want it to represent. And it's almost like, um, like, the movie The Prestige, like, talking about magic tricks, like, mm-hmm. as soon as, if you mm-hmm. were to come out and say, it means X, and then yeah. the, it, there's a full stop, and then no people can no longer take it and, and use it for a vehicle to, you know, kind of imprint 
their own thoughts on it. And I think you did the absolute right thing. Is like you wrote a story, and it obviously touched a you know hit a touchstone for a lot of people, and then just let it be the way that that it is for whoever it is and whatever they need it to to represent. Yeah, I mean, I hope so, and I'm glad to hear you say that. It's funny to hear that now when I am out in public talking about my stories and talking about my book, and I, I feel like the moral of the cat person story was like, shut up and don't talk about your own books. Let people talk about themselves, but, you know, the well, conundrum. Well, I think, I think at this point you're going to, you know, I think your publisher and publicist will probably uh, appreciate the fact that you're out talking about your book that's coming out. They probably want you to do that. That is what I have discovered, is that they they would like me to, and so I am. But, yeah, and it's fun. I mean, I enjoy it, Mm -hmm. but it's, like, it's just finding the balance between talking about what's interesting and important to you and not trying to explain what's going on, because I think that's what kind of will sink you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So really not just Capers, but kind of all your stories, you seem to have hit this, you know, struck this chord where you're able to write, and I promise this is a, a compliment, you're able to write stories <laughs> that kind of make people cringe or a little bit uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. And, I take, fully take that as a compliment. Okay, good. And it's the same thing with, like, um, like I think of Chuck Palahniuk short stories are much the same mm-hmm. way. And, like, yeah. I don't know why I enjoy reading stories like yours or the, or his or mm-hmm. things like that, but, like, so I'm, as the person who writes them, like, what is what is it about that type of story that you think people gravitate for towards? Because I am uncomfortable reading things like Cat Person, but I can't mm-hmm. stop reading them. Yeah, I mean, I, sort of like you, I was a reader who was always looking to be uncomfortable long before I was a writer. Mm-hmm. Like, and I don't, I do not know. <laughs> I have, I guess, a couple of ideas. I had someone tell me recently we were talking about one of the stories and she was like oh I was like what piece of me crawled inside that story and identified with it and I really liked that image of like crawling inside something where there's like pieces of you that are just kind of like bubbling around and like not that don't get a lot of of space to express themselves in your day-to-day life when you're walking around trying to be a decent human and that it can be really great to like feel cringy yeah and like uncomfortable yeah but for me like the deepest discomfort comes from a kind of really uncomfortable identification not necessarily that you have behaved like the way the person in the story has um but that maybe some of the that it's like an exact an exaggerated and kind of distorted but kind of accurate vision of some aspect of yourself. Like, to me, when I'm writing the stories, that's how it feels. Like, I'm taking some bit of my brain or some, like, emotional, I don't know, quirk that I can't express and I don't fully understand. And then I take it (laughs) and I write this banana story that is in no way, like, practically autobiographical, but, like, feels like, oh, there's that, like, piece of me on the page and I think it's comforting and feels good to like see that in fiction and see that um reflected so I guess I'm turning it back on you and being like <laughs> if you're that uncomfortable with the stories but you also like it there must be something in yeah. you that's like needs to be reflected or, or expressed oh but maybe not I mean also it's like any movie right or like a horror movie you know, I, yeah, I was just gonna say high like, stakes feelings. I was yeah. just gonna say I think I'm seeing why you also gravitate towards horror a little bit there. Exactly. 
Exactly, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I feel like I've read so many Stephen King essays and like intros where people are always like, what's wrong with you that you write this stuff? He's like, I don't know, what's wrong with you that you read it? And I feel like that sort of like live and let live attitude. Oh man, that's such, no, that's a really, that's exactly how you should answer that from like now on yeah. if anyone talks to you about it, just be like, listen, you're the one buying it and reading it. And just, then exactly. just And then just stare at them and let them say the next thing and just see yeah, what they do. Yeah, I'm really, really nailing this publicity. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah. So many, so many uh, tricks of the trade. Yeah, that re- the the book reading went really well until I started openly attacking everyone in the crowd. <laughs> exactly. There's something wrong with you if you buy this book. Oh. No. Many normal and healthy people, I think, enjoy being um, uncomfortable mm-hmm. on, in reading. It's one of the great, great things yeah. about reading is you got to set the part of yourself that's worried about being a good person or a bad person aside for at least a little while. Oh, that's amazing. So before your kind of writing and, and teaching things, you spent a great deal of time in Africa, correct? I spent two, a little over two years in Africa with the Peace Corps right after I graduated from college. So what were you doing while you were there over those two years? I was a public health volunteer. Uh, I was doing HIV and AIDS education primarily. I lived with a family and the um, the father in the family was the headmaster of a small orphan center. So most of my work was um, surrounding that. And I did a mix of sort of teaching and um, development and fundraising, just a whole bunch of things um, to help the orphan center do its work. Do you think that um, kind of your experiences there and the people you interacted with that you might not normally interact with in your everyday life over here in the States affected or uh, kind of changed the way that you write your stories and your characters? I mean, it must have. It was a really formative experience for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, there's one story in the collection, um, that Night Runner story that I mentioned earlier, that directly draws on um, my experiences or my time there that's set in Kenya, um, although it's also like maybe one of the most made up of the stories has the most has a real supernatural element to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, yeah, I mean, I, I was very young when I went, I think now I was 21. Um, and it was a good, but also very overwhelming and kind of incomprehensible experience. Mm-hmm. Not the people that I knew necessarily, or, you know, there were lots of small things that I that I grasped and that I loved, but I was in over my head deeply um, and felt incredibly responsible for a lot of things that, in retrospect, as a 21-year-old English major, I had no capacity, <laughs> to, you know, to take on. Um, and I think I spent a lot of time really wrestling then with, like, kind of big questions about, like, what's the right thing to do in this bad situation how can I be the person I feel like I'm supposed to be and also like respond in a way that is like useful and and kind I don't know there were a lot of I guess like ethical dilemmas in that situation Mm -hmm. um that I could not solve where I was just kind of defeated by them and I feel like that does it was a very humbling experience that I had very early and it shaped the way that I think about the world in that it gave me a lot of, like, 
in some ways overwhelming, but then in other ways very productive self-doubt. Like I was just like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I thought I knew a bunch of things and it turned out I was wrong about all of them. And I, I think that in retrospect is like a great mindset to have, especially like I think it would made things hard for me for a long time, but it's good to approach everything with this sense of like, you're probably, I mean, I think <laughs> in every situation, no matter how passionately I, I like think that I'm right, there's always a voice in my head being like, there's a 90% chance that you're wrong. <laughs> and I think that makes a good, that's a good thing for a writer to have, like that sense of uncertainty. Because um, it allows for ambiguity, right? Yeah. Um, which I think is good. No, that's that's really really interesting, and it, I'm I'm sure it could be even be some something that's even maybe like a little bit subconscious, where you're not even aware that your experiences are shaping the characters you're writing or the experiences you're writing about. But just having had those life experiences and and meeting, you know, being a part of a, an entirely different culture that most people in the United States, especially, will will never see or understand. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like that's you know, it has to you know play a part, even if you didn't realize it was. Yeah, and I think it's true of all really big and kind of what makes an experience formative is that, like, you can't really assess it because it made you who you are. So you can't imagine what you would be like. You can't, I can't run a sort of counter experiment and be like, mm-hmm. what kind of a person would I be like if I hadn't gotten to Peace Corps? I also feel that way about graduate school. Like, I just, I don't know. I don't know if it's a good idea or a bad idea, but I know the person I am on the other side of it, like is just the only way I can imagine being. And I, I definitely feel that way about Peace Corps. Like, yeah, it was one of the yeah. things that made me who I am, and here I am. I don't mind it, so. <laughs> That's, I actually, I kind of have the same feelings about graduate school. Like, I feel like the experiences <laughs> and what I did were good for me, but then every time, every month, I look at my student loan that I'm still paying off, and I'm like, oh, well, that sucks. <laughs> exactly. And, like, when people come to you and they ask for advice, and they're like, should I do this thing? You're, there's a party that's like, well, you know, if you want to throw away the person you are and become someone else, sure, but I'm not sure, like, whether it's a good ordeal or not, a good idea, and who can, who can say? Uh, if yeah. you want to just change everything you believe about the world, yeah, go for it. It'll be great. Yeah, just why not? Oh, Jump so off the cliff. Um, so towards the end of our podcast, we do what we call the nerd nine, just nine sort of lighthearted questions that we like asking every single author. So don't put too much thought into these, um, unless you draw a complete blank, which sometimes people do. And then they yell at me. But the first one is, uh, what's the last book you finished reading? Last book I finished reading was, um, it was a advanced copy actually of a book called Bunny by a writer um, named Mona Awad, who wrote the book um, 13 Ways of Looking at a Fat Girl. Mm-hmm. And it was so good. I don't know if that's part of the question, but sure. it won't be out, I think, until the summer. But it was amazing and really messed up in the way that I, that I guess we both agree. We like books <laughs> to be uncomfortable. It was wildly uncomfortable making in the best way. Yeah, so, a, yeah I, will be, I will be tracking that an arc of this as well. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite place to read? Uh, yeah, I read on my couch mostly. Um, not exciting, but no, many, okay. many hours are spent there. Uh, do you remember the book that made you fall in love with reading as a kid? Oh, God. I mean, as long as I can remember, I have loved reading, so it's sort of lost in the sands of time. Mm-hmm. I rem- My first vivid memory of reading a chapter book is reading a Ramona Quimby book mm-hmm. and just being like, whoa, yeah. <laughs> this is different because <laughs> um, I was like six. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, that's my first vivid memory of like sinking into a book. Uh, what's one place you'd like to travel that you have not yet been to? 
Oh, so many. Um, I want to go to Japan. I've never been, and I've always wanted to do the Trans-Siberian Railway. Oh, that's a good answer. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Do you have a a favorite holiday to celebrate? Uh, My favorite holiday holiday is unsurprisingly Halloween. (laughs) Although I don't love celebrating as much as I just love it happening around me and all the good, like, lists of best horror movies coming out around that time. Oh, yeah, that tracks with everything we just talked about. Um, (laughs) Exactly. Very consistent as a person. Are you a coffee person or a tea person? Coffee, all the way. Uh, cats or dogs? <laughs> Fraught question now. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. I, uh, I have a cat. I love him. I feel like, yeah, that's my answer now, mm-hmm. but I have, I have complicated feelings. <laughs> if you would have said dog, I would have laughed really, really hard. I, for a long time, I would have. And in fact, when I wrote Cat Person, I owned a dog and not a cat. But my life has changed in a few ways since then. So uh, I don't you, know. Dogs are probably better. Please write a terrible, like, purposely bad short story and call it Dog Person. I would love that so much. Oh, my God. Uh, I will never, but uh, maybe I will. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, do you have a favorite food? Uh, yeah, I have a lot of them. I don't know. I really like a good cheesy macaroni and cheese. There you go. Um, and then if you could have dinner with one person, alive or dead, who would you pick? Um, I really, we were talking about him, but I just really want to have dinner with Stephen King and have him tell me all about what it's like to have been writing horror and getting questions about how messed up he is for this many years. Oh, that's a really, really good answer. All right, last question for you. What do you hope people take away from reading you want, uh, you know, you want this? Oh, man. Um, well... In the way that we were talking before, I want people to be purely free in terms of how they interpret it and, and what they want. But I know that I I always want a book that I don't want to do anything else but read that book mm-hmm. while I have it. And that's the best possible like place for me to be. Um, and so I really am hoping that I wrote a book that can give that to at least a few other people. And if I do, they can think whatever they want about it at the end of it. That's awesome. Kristen, I loved this conversation. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, it was really fun to talk to you. Um, I regret that I called my own future novel garbage, but I hope that in the context of the overall conversation, people understand where I was coming from. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. Bonjour, this is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor, and every week I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food, so come join me on... Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app.